0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of the Showtime with Roman podcast, the not so feature length podcast where uh, your host, Roman RBC, talks about everything movie. Uh, related, whether it's news, trailers, actors stepping out of roles, uh, actors stepping into roles, and uh, then we top off the show with a discussion topic of the week uh, that is movie-related. Um, this week's episode is going to be a very tight episode consisting of two very different things. We're going to be talking about one major news story that is quite upsetting, and then we're going to round out with a discussion topic that I have been dying to talk about for quite some time now, and then I'm going to read every single comment that was uh, commented, on the discussion topic post on my personal Facebook page. Um, So, it is currently 1.53 in the morning. Um, I didn't have time to record earlier today, or Tuesday, or Monday, and there was no news yet on Sunday, so I couldn't record Sunday. So, Here we are. It is uh, 1.54 now a.m. in the morning on Thursday the 13th. So tonight I'll be seeing Predator uh, at 7 a.m. I'm not particularly excited, but it could be a good time still. It's Shane Black, a great cast. Lots of controversy heading into it regarding Olivia Munn and um, Shane Black actually casting his best friend who happens to turn out to be a Predator as well interesting, kind of ironic, Um, but that's not what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about an actor, an actor who I believe isn't, I don't think he's a great actor, I think he's been only good in one particular role out of two of the three films that he's been in. I thought he was okay in Mission Impossible Fallout, I thought he was quite good in Man from U.N.C.L.E., even though the movie's pretty mediocre, and that's Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill, who first really bursted onto the scene um, with Man of Steel in 2013, a movie that single-handedly changed my life. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned that a million times. And he's appeared in a couple smaller films before and lots of uh, British work as well. But apparently he is opting out of playing Superman. Uh, News broke this morning. I woke up to a very unfortunate text from my friend letting me know that it's bullshit and that it's not fair and that it's really sad because we both love Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. And here's the thing. I was going to record earlier today but this topic wasn't really fully developed yet. Everything was kind of happening at once and I didn't want to kind of jump the gun. I wanted to kind of let it evolve a bit because what had happened was this morning I woke up to that text and I read some of the news and then they said the agent of Henry Cavill said, don't worry, WB is going to be issuing a statement later today. The cape is still in the closet, so don't you worry. So, WB issues the statement, like, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours later. And here's what they say. They basically say, oh, we respect Henry Cavill. We love working with him. We have no plans of, of not working with him in the future. And we have no plans of doing anything um, Or doing something different with Superman or whatever. The way I kind of read it was that they have plans of working with Henry in the future. If he wants to work with WB further. But not as Superman. And I think the reason why is whether it's Henry opting out or it's WB just saying they want to move on. What I think they're trying to do is they're trying to recast the universe... Outside of Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, Ezra Miller as The Flash, and Jason Momoa as Aquaman. They're trying to recast their Titans because everyone responded so negatively to Batman v Superman and most people to Man of Steel. So they're going to, you know, change it up a bit and they want to make their cast more accessible. It was reported that Michael B. Jordan was going to be cast as Superman. Michael B. Jordan's a great actor, but let's say it's a continuation of the universe. If you recast, okay fine we've seen plenty of franchises and plenty of movies do it right but you can't really like change a character's race like midway through it just it just wouldn't make any sense like you, it just that's just something that's so different like the color of you know someone's skin i mean it's not integral to the superman character but when you start with a character who's white and then change race midway through that changes a lot right it changes a lot so I don't think that's gonna happen. I don't think Michael B. Jordan's gonna be cast, but unless they were to completely reboot the character, but then they'd have to get rid of so much of their universe. by some, I don't know. It's strange. But tonight, when I'm at work, I go on my break, and I see that Henry Cavill has posted a video to Instagram. The video is of him looking as cut as ever, wearing a shirt that says Krypton Lifting Team. And there's a guy holding like this, uh, this, uh, this weight this uh, The bar and some weights on the side, and then he lifts up a Superman doll into frame, and he's looking kind of angry, and then he puts it down out of frame. The video ends, and that tells me that I kind of read it as he does love Superman, and he's mad that people are starting because it's just a report. Nothing's ever been confirmed that he's actually leaving or that he actually said that. So, the Hollywood Reporter said that they had sources, you know, and this is what their inside sources told them and stuff like that, but, you know, everybody has inside sources these days. And, I just think that he loves the character a lot. He's a lot like Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. I know that a lot of people don't like the amazing Spider-Man movies and think that for some reason, oh, Peter Parker's a pretty boy. He's too cool to be Spider-Man when, in actuality, if you're even playing the Marvel Spider-Man on PS4 right now, the most like this Spider-Man is Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. And people are in love with the the Marvel Spider-Man game character. So, what's the difference between him and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man? They're like the exact same. Anyways, the point is, I would hate to see another actor have to step down from a role that they love. Henry Cavill is one of the biggest nerds amongst the actor's landscape. I remember uh, one of my favorite movie stories is Henry Cavill was saying that he was raiding on World of Warcraft and he almost missed a call to play Superman because he was playing video games. And that's one of my favorite movie stories because he's just like one of us, it kind of you know brings them back down to reality. You know, a lot of actors when they talk about getting calls for roles, they're like, "Yeah, you know, I was just in my Lamborghini driving down Sunset Boulevard, getting ready to go stop at like a super luxurious coffee shop that serves like a venti coffee for like 80 bucks or whatever." But no, Henry Cavill was playing video games, and something that is really my likeness towards him is not only that he just seems like a down to earth guy, but He really loves acting, and he really loves performing, particularly as Superman. And if you're a universe that has the most iconic superhero of all time, then what are you doing? I know that I'm in the minority and loving Man of Steel and loving Batman v Superman. And I like Justice League to a degree. But what they're doing is just so reactionary, and that's WB's thing. they just like, oh... Marvel started up this, you know, cinematic universe, let's do our own. And this might be safe for next week's discussion topic, but why don't you just stop doing a cinematic universe? Why does everything have to be connected? Why don't you just let them do their own thing and just have directors come in, don't limit their creativity, and just make their own stories? Sam Raimi and Brian Singer were the technically some of the godfathers in that regard, where they're telling stories about characters that... Have their own stories and they're not handcuffed or limited to creative control. Sam Raimi, a little bit too much in Spider Man 3, but that was Sony's fault. And then you've got Brian Singer, who's kind of just been let loose with the X Men films. Yeah, he went a little overboard with Apocalypse, sure, but when you look at his X Men films, they're some of the better ones in the franchise. And it's why it's my favorite superhero franchise, because. You've got a myriad of different directors coming in, and even though X-Men 3 gets a lot of shit, and obviously X-Men Origins Wolverine is a pile of shit, the Wolverine isn't too bad, and Logan's great, and Deadpool's pretty good. You know, you've got a bunch of different directors coming in that aren't handcuffed to, you know, oh, here, timeline, schmime line. Who cares about a timeline where you can just tell stories about these heroes and just have fun with it? And I think what's... What it's really come down to is that a lot of these cinematic universes, you know, they're, they're so stiffly serious about, you know, making sure everything's interconnected and this makes sense. And that makes sense. But in actuality, they don't really have a plan. They're kind of just adding story to something they've already created. I mean, they barely get by the Marvel cinematic universe. I'm referring to the, I mean, their template is barely good. The only reason it's barely good and it barely passes that mark is because it wants to accomplish it's goal by doing the least amount of work possible. Well, no, nothing wrong with that. I mean, if listen, if if you join a Goop project and you know your role is to go buy the tape and, you know, buy the tax, little is work possible, but you get the A. Anyways, back to Henry Cavill. You know, you've got a titan of a superhero and you've got a guy who is visually looks more like Superman than any other actor we've had in the role. And I think that what's gotta happen here is they've gotta either you know let Henry move on because he's starring in Netflix's The Witcher series, or they just just get your act together just why do you feel the need that you have to appeal to this demographic this large, just do what you're studio has been set out to do you are the only studio in the history of the medium that has greenlit a big budget asian-led film in crazy rich asians and you let an asian guy direct it cut people loose don't let these comic book movies don't feel like they have to be made a certain type of way you're the one of the most prestigious movie studios in the world and have been for decades, Warner Brothers. So just go out, let Chris McQuarrie or Matthew Vaughn or whoever else direct Man of Steel 2 with Henry Cavill in the role. Get it out by the year 2021 and let us just all bask in its gloriness and Henry Cavill playing Superman, who happens to be my favorite iteration of the character. Obviously, I'm one person. But there are a lot of other people that love this character. A lot of other people that love this version of the character specifically. A lot of people that love Henry Cavill so much so that they only envision him in the role. For a lot of people, Henry Cavill is going to be like our Christopher Reeves' as Superman. Because a lot of people are only going to see him in the role. Because that's the era of film they grew up loving. And we grew up loving, you know, Christopher Reeves' Superman. And now people are going to grow up loving Henry Cavill Superman. Brandon Ralph gets lost in the mix. Oh, well, he was still good, too. People give him way too much shit. But hopefully they get their act together. I think he still wants to play the character, but he's someone who's trying to expand his range. You know, I mean, he was in Mission Impossible Fallout, and he was good in that. And, you know, he's not a great actor. I think he's got to work on some fundamentals. But overall, he's a dynamite actor. And he's a great physical presence as Superman. And he was able to perfectly encapsulate someone who was struggling to figure out their place in this world. Even though the world didn't want him. And then all of a sudden he acted in one of the greatest comic book movie scenes of all time. When he selflessly commits the ultimate sacrifice. Because, you know, he was the only one that was able to. Because he wanted to show the world that, you know, I'm here for you. And that's my thoughts on that. So... That's it for news. Uh, Nothing really else came out. I mean, Predator's coming out. Looks okay. The Nun apparently sucks. Whatever. I'm watching Skyscraper this week. Um, We'll see what goes on with that. I actually haven't been watching a lot of movies lately. Like I mentioned, Marvel's Spider-Man is out, and it's Dynamite. Um, So I've been uh, spending my time on that. But for this week's discussion topic, I'll be answering this question. Does seeing more movies actually matter now i've had this discussion with many people before for years now really and a lot of people believe that you don't have to see more movies is that true is that really true though because here's the thing when i say do you really have to see more movies if you're somebody who wants to write And someone who wants to create content regarding film. And you're someone who wants to get into the industry. And you're someone that wants to, you know, become more literate in the film industry, right? Just in in terms of uh, cinematic language, the universal language. It's, I believe, a necessity. And not a bare necessity. But a human necessity for you to want to seek out and expand your horizons because listen I'm not a professional critic I'm not a professional in the industry I'm just some lowly 22 year old white male living in some podunks town in Arizona who's just loves movies but my experience in my experiences of even just this year I have had a deeper appreciation for film by just watching more movies that i never thought i would watch before i don't go to school i don't go to film school i don't i don't take film related classes i have before but here's the thing i've learned more about film in just watching movies and then studying more about that specific film and where it starts is expanding outside of american cinema because foreign films, I'm still working on, and it's still a gradual incline. It's a very steep incline, but I started off the year watching *Le Samurai*, which influenced so many filmmakers and so many cinematographers and so much talent that we see today. It inspired David Fincher. I, I mean, he may not might not have to say so, but I know he's seen the film and. You can tell just off of the crime drama, the way the camera moves, the atmospheric tension that is in *Lay Samurai is in a lot of David Fincher films, it's particularly Zodiac. I got a lot of Zodiac vibes from watching *Lay Samurai. *Lay Samurai inspired Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive, one of the best films ever made. It's a movie that has inspired so many filmmakers. Roger Deacons, he's just listed his favorite. Ten movies of all time, you know, and lay Samurai was one of them. And you can tell because the cinematography is so similar, the way the camera moves and follows characters and peers into this guy's mind and trying to dissect and figure out what his next move is going to be, even though he doesn't speak a lot of dialogue. And then, you know, lay Samurai inspired Drive, which inspired Baby Driver. Baby Driver might not exist without Drive, but Drive wouldn't have existed without lay Samurai. And so a lot of the media and a lot of the film we take in today, you know, came from somewhere. Yes, there's original content. There's a movie like First Reformed. You know, it comes out. Is it really inspired by anything? Actually, yes, it is. It's inspired by Ozu films. Uh, I believe his name is pronounced Sanju Hiro Ozu. I I, I might be mispronouncing that first name. But Paul Schrader talks about how he was inspired by... By those films from ozu of which i haven't seen any yet but i've been dying to and i've been trying to get to but i keep prioritizing other films so is it a necessity yes it is and i think that when it comes to wanting to be a critic particularly i'm not a professional critic like i mentioned earlier but when i read reviews of peers I'm gonna name drop Mikey Brzezinski again. He's someone that's seen thousands of films, thousands more than I have. And then when I read someone's reviews, that's seen I don't know maybe a hundred films, 150, 200. Maybe that person that's seen 200 isn't aspiring to be a critic, but they still write reviews, you know, as a hobby, as something for fun. And you can tell that something's missing because when it comes to critiquing work of you know a film. You really have to kind of figure out how exactly and how, why exactly does this film work the way it does. And what is my perception of that? How, what am I going to offer from my perspective and my experiences? Am I going to be able to showcase correlations between Black Klansmen and a film that Spike Lee made in the 1990s? What techniques has, ha, have evolved, have developed You know, I haven't seen a lot of Spike Lee films, but when I read a lot of reviews after I saw the film and wrote my own review, I realized that a lot of people were like, look at his techniques have, you know, come over from Do The Right Thing or Malcolm X, stuff like that, right? And that's really important, especially if you wanna be a writer. So when I read Mikey's reviews, who has seen so many different types of films and is constantly evolving his taste every year because so many different films come out every year, I see someone that talks about film in a way that his horizons are as expanded as they could be right now. Yes, he's got blind spots just like anybody else. But he's seen so many different types of films and so many foreign films and so many indie films. All the blockbusters, stuff like that. A lot of 80s schlock, I'm sure. Which is also an important genre to dive into, of which I really haven't dissected either. But I see someone that has a deep appreciation for the craft... And is able to lend an interesting perspective because he's seen more movies. And I think if you're someone that doesn't want to get into like these super high end film discussions, you don't have to. Like my girlfriend. She loves going to the movies and loves getting an experience out of them. She saw Black Klansmen and she was empowered. She felt sad and angry and felt Made her feel a bunch of different emotions. That's amazing. And we got to talk about the film and the importance of today. And in the context of even just 30 years ago. Or 40 years ago. Or 50 years ago. And showcasing how it's kind of evolving into this film. That is getting better and more relevant every day. And how it made us angry. And why it made us happy. And why it made us laugh. And why it has my favorite line of the year. Are uh, you sure about that? Stuff like that. And, you know, she's someone who doesn't see all the films and she doesn't seek to have these super high end discussions like we do, which is fine. That's okay. If you're that person, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're someone that, you know, seeks to talk about film on a really big level with a lot of people, you've got to expand your taste. And that's really, really critical. Um, So that's what I have to offer for that and I'm going to offer some more perspective here on all these comments here I'm going to read every comment because everyone gave a great answer Everyone gives a great answer all the time It's just sometimes I have more news topics, but since today we only have one news topic and one discussion topic I can read all of them. So thank you guys Michelle Kisner says I think watching older stuff gives one a more rounded perspective on film Especially because modern stuff usually takes influence from it. Same with obscure films Michael K. if you care enough about the history of film, then you need to do your due diligence and seek out as much as you can. Past or present, good or bad, the more exposed you are to the medium, the better you can articulate your thoughts. Hopefully that didn't sound too much like gatekeeping. Absolutely not, Michael. It doesn't really sound like gatekeeping. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, if you're someone, Michael is a critic. Michael sees everything. I don't see as much as Michael does. Michael articulates his thoughts a little bit more than I do. And Michael, frankly, knows more about the industry than a lot of other people I know. He knows the ins and outs. He knows names. He knows uh, branches. He's a super intelligent dude, right? And that's not necessarily gatekeeping, but he mentions past or present, good or bad. You can't just seek out films you think you're going to like. That's not something that... Is good for you and your taste it's good to see films like skyscraper or for some people Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom or you know movies like slice that are super diverse right or super sorry uh, divisive right now and that's important you have to see a myriad of different films and you have to go into areas where you're not comfortable that's why when I saw Drive for the first time a couple years ago I was scared because I thought I wasn't gonna like it because I wasn't comfortable with those types of films and I'm glad I did because that movie influenced my life dramatically and my taste dramatically in a very positive way. And I think that it's amazing that I can just step into watching a film like Inside Llewyn Davis or Children of Men and not be entirely sure what I'm going to get and then walk away with one of my favorite films of all time. So, you know, just, you know, get out there, man. Just do your job. Do your diligence, like Michael said. So good job. Uh, Good comment, Michael. Tristan Mayer, always offering up great perspective. It definitely makes a difference. Movies are a form of art that's evolved quicker than almost any other artistic medium, and knowing the context of where this medium has come from is important to understanding films today. I also think it's important because it grants you a wider spectrum of quality. If you're only watching the big blockbusters of the last 10 years, you've missed out on some of the best and worst movies of all time. And seeing these movies can make you realize what you thought was the worst slash best movie ever actually isn't. Another great comment. Here's the thing: if you are watching movies only within like the last 18 years, you know when superhero movies started reigning supreme, you you know you're really doing yourself a disservice. You really are. You really get like I said, got to step out of that comfort zone. And m- he mentions movies are a form of art that's evolved quicker than almost any other artistic medium. Movies really aren't that old, especially compared to like. Actual paintings and a bunch of other stuff that I can't think of right now because it's like freaking two o'clock in the morning. But movies are about a hundred years old, at, at, and that's only at the way in which we know them now. You know, we don't really get silent films, but back in 1918, they were still toying around with like kaleidoscope pictures and stuff like that, and they were still toying out with like the technicalities of how to exactly project a film to you know, with light. It, it's incredible how fastly fast! excuse me film has evolved it's incredible and, and Tristan's right um rakesh says absolutely i think watching more movies engenders not only a bigger love for film but an appreciation for different perspectives While filmmaking has a set structure, I've seen that different cultures approach similar subject matters in different ways. Also, I think if you're wanting to become a filmmaker, watching more movies is the best teacher. If anyone wants to become a writer, watch some Indian action cinema because you'll definitely learn how not to write a villain. India definitely has a large share of classics and the choreography and cinematography are most always on point. But the majority of action film writers from there believe that making the villain Satan himself, not literally, is the best way to get the audience to hate them. So, you know, Rakesh is right, you know, a lot of influences from overseas, and a lot of, you know, those overseas filmmakers don't particularly believe that certain aspects of a story aren't great, but at the same time, or or aren't important, excuse me, but at the same time, they still focus on other things that end up making their film quite good. I haven't seen a lot of Indian films, that's one of my biggest blind spots in terms of foreign, same as Italian and a lot of other areas as well, but Watching those is a great teacher to showcase what exactly has influenced American cinema, because that's what we're taking in the most as Americans. If you're overseas, you're obviously going to be taking in a little bit of a different type of cinema, but just watching a bunch of Akira Kurosawa films this year, and I say a bunch like I've seen 10, but I've only seen like three or four, His he influenced so much of American cinema, it's honestly hard to imagine a world where if Akira Kurosawa didn't, Kurosawa didn't exist I have no idea what type of movies we'd be getting right now we might not have Mad Max Fury Road because Mad Max Fury Road is a lot like Seven Samurai in many ways surprisingly Um, but yeah great comment Rakesh Dan always offering up a beautiful perspective I think it ultimately hinges on the intention behind your discussion or analysis you can't be uninformed and make bold statements blindly but at the same time you don't need to have studied every film in a specific genre to have a relative knowledge of the aesthetics in a genre. If you want to have an understanding of how Hitchcock frames suspense, study a handful of Hitchcock. If you want to know more about the French New Wave, you got to look at a couple films beyond your standard Jean-Luc Godard films, who is one of the most popular filmmaker, French filmmakers of all time. If you want to write a paper on Robin Williams's characterization and persona that he brings to every film he was in, you gotta watch some films with his performance in it. You don't have to be an expert, but at least be informed. That's like a good thing to know for life too. Dan Alt is just a super genius, and he's always writing masterpieces and creating great content, and he nails it. You know, if you're looking at you know what exactly inspires the comic book movies we love today. You know, a lot of filmmakers say that they were inspired by Hitchcock because while well, he was super influential and he was a super great filmmaker, you look at a movie like Rope, the framing and blocking and that it's one of his more underseen projects and one of his least talked about films. But at the same time, a lot of what he does in that film, it, we see today the movie is shot almost entirely in one long shot, you know, and never cutting. I mean, yeah, there's hidden cuts in there. But at the same time, he's someone that creates suspense through the framing and the blocking of the camera. And He's a master at his craft. And then when you watch more, you know, Japanese films or Chinese films, you know, I'm over here watching Akira Kurosawa films, but I need to get into some Ozu. I need to get into some other Japanese films as well, because not only will they offer up a different Japanese perspective from Akira Kurosawa, but how did they influence the films I love today, like First Reformed? So Dan, great comment. Um... Michelle says, I think, again, I think it's also beneficial to watch lots of foreign films to so many unique perspectives. No more analysis on that. She nailed it. Rob Thompson, who is actually, a, I haven't, I knew of Rob Thompson because of a bunch of pages, but he's a really cool dude. And I wish I friended him sooner. Uh, so if you're listening to this, Rob, I'm, I'm glad I have your presence in social media. I think if you're really interested in the art form, whether as a fan or as an aspiring artist, it is good to broaden your horizon as much as possible. Basically simplifies everything we've talked about. Ryan, who's always giving great comments, if you want to have a deeper perspective on movies, then I say yes. Plus, it helps when you try to do best of all time debates or lists. Can't really have a good opinion on that if you haven't seen any movie that came out before, like 1995. And he's right, you know. I see a lot of people whose favorite list consists of a lot of films they've seen today, which is fair, because that's most of what they're seeing. But then when they start talking about saying, oh, Logan is the one of the ten best films of all time, I'm like, huh? have you seen any films from, like, 1970 at least? Or 1980 outside of Star Wars or something? You know, and, and that's fine. Again, people are going to see things differently, and that's fine. But, you know, if you're trying to articulate yourself and become more literate and have these debates and discussion. I hate saying the word debate these days because let's have a discussion about it. Let's relax and calm down a little bit. Let's just talk, you know, as if we were sipping some coffee at Starbucks. Um, Great comment, Ryan. Brendan Krause, who's very blunt, Absolutely, you can't just watch films post-2008, seeing how the medium developed, plus movies used to just be better. I don't necessarily agree with Brendan and everything he says. I mean, yes, movies were great in like the 1900s, but I don't think movies are really some of them aren't as great as people say they are and I think sometimes they get a little bit of a pass for being influential and I don't think that many movies today are nearly as bad as people say they are yes they are shit but yes there were shit in the 1900s as well um, but Brendan, great comment Andrew Buck, who's super intelligent one of my favorite people to talk to about film It absolutely matters to know what one is talking about, always. If someone wants to discuss the strengths of Tarantino, it helps to be familiar with D. Leo's gangster flicks or the pulp Asian thrillers that inspired him. Also, older films show us the framework for how modern films came to be. Nobody would know Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell is a spiritual remake of a long-forgotten 50s horror movie called Curse of the Demon unless you opted to watch it on a whim. Andrew nails a lot of everything that we've already talked about, but at the same time, he mentions, you know... Everyone loves Quentin Tarantino, right? But what makes Quentin Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino? What he's inspired by. Everyone has inspiration. The only people that weren't inspired were people who were making films when fir- film was first invented. Everyone is inspired. When I was listening to this podcast with Christopher McQuarrie on the Empire Film Podcast, talking about Mission Impossible Fallout, you know, he was saying that... Or the host was talking about how... Oh, this was a cool homage to French Connection. Was that intentional? And he's like... We paid homage to the French Connection? I I mean, I didn't even realize it. But I guess that makes sense. You know? But at the same time... Even though he didn't explicitly mean to do it... His inspirations are always going to be ingrained in him. And implicitly. And he's implicitly going to do these things... Because he's inspired and loves something. And that is beautiful. Um, So, you know, just... Like you mentioned with with Sam Raimi, I mean, no one's going to talk about that because, well, we're not that literate in certain areas. A lot of people are like Andrew, who have had the opportunity to see more films or, you know, they seek them out a little bit more than we do. At the same time, I haven't seen any of the films that Tarantino has been inspired by. I know that he makes great films, so that means that I'm probably going to love the films that he's inspired by. So great comment, Andrew. Josh Price, coming up on the last few comments here, there's two more. Like any subject, the more knowledgeable you are about film, the more rewarding it is to talk about it. In fact, given the amount of homage, imitation, and influence that can carry over from one artist to another in cinema, it's always fascinating to seek out a wider range of movies that you can draw knowledge and more depth from. Plus, it can be super rewarding. Some of my favorite films ever are ones I watched through the process of seeking out more obscure stuff. And the best part is is that there's no wrong way of going about it. You can start wherever you want when it comes to exploring new areas of cinema, so you can literally pick and choose where you want to begin. And the more you watch, the more new stuff you'll be aware of as a result. I would just say this, though. Avoid watching films purely as an obligation because you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. My process of seeking out a more obscure film is to take note when it's recommended to me and then just put it on my watch list and wait for a moment when I feel genuinely compelled or intrigued to watch it. Sometimes I'll see the next day, sometimes a a few months. The point is I'll watch it when I want to and in doing so, I like to think I give the movie more of a fair chance to work and leave an impact. Josh, great comment, man. It it, it Truly... Spectacular Because I have a Filmstruck watch list of over 120 films. I haven't watched any Filmstruck films in a long time. Maybe about a week. Uh, Guy and Madeline on the park bench was on Filmstruck. So about a week. But, you know, I used to watch consistently. Like three a week on Filmstruck, right? But at the same time, some of these films that I watch, I talked about months ago. And I mentioned them to people that, you know have seen them and kind of get you know f- get familiarized with what people think about it so i get in that mindset of being prepared for a film and i don't want to set myself up for disaster like josh Menson mentions that's that's no fun you know take your time don't just feel obligated to sit down and be like okay let's burn through four you know jodorowsky films and two david lynch films today i mean you're just gonna have a freaky day for one but at the same time you know you're gonna burn yourself out You know, when I was watching seven films a week over the month of July when we had no internet at my house, I kind of burned myself out a little bit, so I had to take a break when I got internet back. And that might be why I'm watching less films now. But at the same time, you know, I'm starting to, you know, watch more movies and, you know, prep for Predator. I'm going to the movies theater for the first time in a while because I've been super broke, for one. Uh, And I'm just excited to, you know, have something kickstart, you know, the engine again. You know, the fumes are never running out, and sometimes I'm running on fumes and watching movies, but, you know, I'm having a good time while doing it. Uh, so, great comment, Josh. Cole Weinstein, last comment. We had a little bit of a debate here. He says, sure, it means that your perspective might be a little broader, but it doesn't mean you're any better, or the other person's argument is invalid. And then I replied, well, it's not really about arguments, just on the basic premise of does seeing more films actually matter and making us more literate in the context of film? Cole says, well, then my answer is obviously, but it's also about watching smarter, not harder. You become the most film literate by analyzing film and the elements put into it, not just watching them. And I said, totally agree. And, well, that's really the best way to end this discussion topic and the show today. He says, watch smarter, not harder. And that goes right back to Josh's comment right before. Excuse me, I had the hiccups. Right before his don't just look at a film and be like, dang, the cinematographies are so good because the colors are spicy. Something, <laughs> something along those lines. Look at a film. Analyze it deeper. Figure out why did he use this tracking shot here? Why is Denis Villeneuve constantly shooting something through a window frame or something that is reminiscent of a window frame or a doorway? what do these characters represent in the story what how is the sound used to affect here why is it better in this film and why is it bad in that film films are a case-by-case basis but you know you get the point so watch smarter just take your time analyze and honestly if you really want to and if you want to get you know on the right track Watch some video editorials. Sometimes there's video essays that really are kind of up their own ass and think that, oh, this is the only way to watch the film, and this is the only analyst, excuse me, God, it's late, (laughs) the only analysis that matters. Let's seek out different video essays. And most importantly, and it's something I've been doing, I've been reading a lot of reviews from uh, Roger Ebert. He really, I mean, he's the GOAT for sure. But a lot of his reviews are just a synopsis and like a brief analysis. This is when he was getting towards his untimely death and unfortunate death. But at the same time, you know, he's not someone I always agree with, but he's able able to offer up a perspective and analysis that I didn't see. And that's what's so beautiful about film. And that's what's beautiful about diving deeper into the art form, especially if you want to be a writer, you know, we gain more perspective by empathizing with more perspective if that makes sense that's all i have for the show today thank you again for listening went a little bit longer than anticipated but i had a blast just spending a lot of time talking about one top or two different topics and i can't wait for next week's discussion topic i'm trying to figure out which one i'm going to do next and i might leave it up to you should i talk about cinematic universes and the problem with cinematic universes that i have or Should I talk about perspective in film or diversity in film, rather? Because I had two big conversations that really grinded my gears this week. So I'm going to leave it up to you guys if you guys are listening. I'm going to create a poll on my personal Facebook account. You can leave it in the comments below if you want now. But I'm going to put a personal poll. uh, God, it is so late right now. I really need to go to bed. I'm going to put a poll on my Facebook page, and you guys can vote there. I'll have that ready by the end of the week, and then I'll uh, talk about it next week uh, for the discussion topic, and I'll save the one that loses for another time. Thank you for listening. Once again, check out the Talon Brothers podcast on iTunes. Another great week. They're so excited to see Mandy. I offered up an idea to them that they should review Mandy separately from the show and then talk about Mandy briefly on the show to create other avenues for content for people that might not want to listen to the entire show but want to listen to their one take on Mandy. Plus, it can gain viewership. So, hopefully, they follow through with that. I think that'd be awesome. Also, check out my girlfriend's podcast, What Do I Know with Joe, where she talks about her... Uh, her life bi-weekly once every two weeks and uh, she offers up some of her own perspective of of her own experiences throughout her life as a 21 year old Filipino American Uh, so that's all I have for this week's episode of the show thank you guys for listening and just have another incredible movie watching week and make sure you get good sleep because I'm not getting any have a wonderful rest of your night